0: Hi guys, so today we're introducing Emily Levesque from the Astronomy Department. She is an assistant professor and this is the second round of the podcast series. So Emily, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yes, um, so I'm partway through my second year of being an assistant professor here at the University of Washington. I'm an astronomer and I'm primarily an observational astronomer. So. I use telescopes all over the world to study, basically, big stars, how they evolve, and how they die. These are stars that are at least eight times as massive as our own sun. These are the stars that we see explode as a supernova when they reach the end of their lives. And I'm really interested in the physics behind how these stars go through that process.
0: That's pretty cool. So what got you interested in like this, this research, essentially? This particular research or astronomy in general? Actually, astronomy in, in general. G- yeah.
1: So I actually, that's sort of the same answer. Um, <laughs> I've been interested in astronomy, honestly, since I was really tiny. Um, I have an older brother who's about 10 years older than me. And when he was two and I was 12, was, or when I was two and he was 12, was the last time that Halley's Comet um, made a close pass by Earth. He was supposed to go observe and take notes on the comet for a class at school. So our whole family went tromping out into our backyard in, like, southern Massachusetts. And apparently I was, you know, just tired and too and freaked out by the dark until my parents <laughs> pointed me up. And according to them, from then on, I was just super into anything to do with the sky and space so people would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up and I'd say oh I want to be a ballerina or an astronomer or a firefighter or an astronomer Um, by the end of high school I was really interested in music I played the violin and was debating being a musician or an astronomer. And what I eventually realized was that it would be easier to be a professional scientist and do music as a hobby than try to do astrophysics as a hobby. (laughs) So that was what wound up cementing it for me. Um, Something I liked within all of that was I really liked stars from the get-go. I Mm -hmm. thought that exploding stars and supernova and (laughs) black holes were all really cool. And that even stuck once I actually started doing... Um, astronomy research and taking classes.
0: Hmm, wow. So like, did you face any difficulties in the field that you were interested in? Like how was the ride to becoming an astronomer for you? It got challenging when I first got to college. Um, I showed up as a
1: freshman at MIT coming from a public high school where I would gotten some really wonderful support from a lot of my teachers, hmm. but where we just didn't have The resources available for things like really advanced physics classes, for for the kind of research that some students get to do really early on. Mm -hmm. So I showed up basically having never taken physics before and then deciding that I wanted to major in physics. So it was an adjustment to be one of the least prepared students in the class and I really had to learn on the fly as a freshman, how mm. to manage my time, how to study, how to do this sort of work that I'd really never encountered before. And it was quite a learning curve. I mean, my if you look back at my grades from MIT, they span <laughs> a really broad range. But I think it wound up teaching me fairly early on that it that you can't be discouraged and give up too early if you want to go into a yeah, field like this.
0: for sure. Did did you ever think that being a woman affected your the adjustment period, I guess I would call it? I don't think it affected the adjustment period.
1: Um, I was actually really lucky growing up and then with the sort of cohort that I was in at MIT in mm-hmm. that my gender was not really made much of a thing. I don't think anyone in my family ever said something like, oh, I don't know if you can do this because you're a girl, or even things like, oh, good for you, you're interested in math and science even though you're a girl. The, mm-hmm. the gender issue was simply not brought up. And it meant that it never really was made much of a big deal in my mind. It never occurred to me that being a girl would be a problem.
0: Yeah, so like, how do you think like that led you to the path you're in today compared to like so many other women that faced multiple kinds of discrimination
1: to be fair I think I've also been a bit lucky I've had wonderful professional colleagues I've I can't say that I've never faced discrimination or faced negative attitudes in Mm -hmm. my career from being a woman but it's been relatively few and far between and it's sad because I think that's really all it takes Um, having respectful and professional colleagues having the opportunity to be a scientist and a person first and not have your gender be a big deal. And so many women who aspire to be scientists or who are scientists don't get that. Um, So I think it absolutely helped me that I didn't have to encounter those sorts of difficulties. And that should be true for so many more women than it is.
0: Mm So like I've read a lot of research about like women in STEM and their transition from like high school to college and Like lucky for you like you said that you had a good support in high school, but you didn't take physics So like did you think that exposure was missing for like high school students in general like not just women? I think so. I think that
1: Prioritizing science at the K through 12 level is really valuable. I know that getting teachers who are trained to teach something like AP physics at Mm. the high school level is very different. And the ability of different high schools to hire and retain people like that is such a function of funding level and so many other things specific to sort of how the school systems are run right now. But I think it would have been a huge help if I'd been able to get more access to that in high school. Mm -hmm. We, We did have a very good science fair program in my hometown we didn't necessarily have an ap physics class or anything like that but we had teachers who really encouraged us to do science fair projects every year mm-hmm. to enter into the local the regional the state science fair yeah. that was to me my the most important science exposure for me growing up It was wild, though, to talk to other students when I got to MIT who would say Mm -hmm. things like, oh, I had a high school quantum class, and that professor taught this differently. And I just remember going, what? You had a high school quantum class? Like, How is that a thing? So it was it was an adjustment to be sure.
0: All right, yeah, like wow, I I didn't have a quantum class. <laughs> I don't think many people <laughs> yeah. did. To be totally fair, yeah, I had <laughs> physics though. But I think I like after I got into like IB, which is like International Baccalaureate, like mm-hmm. you got to pick your subjects. So I didn't take physics, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, so what changes do you think the public school could like implement or like take to like help women and men, I guess, in like the field of STEM? That's a
1: really complicated question. Um, So my mom worked in the public school system in the same town where I grew up for years, and I learned enough from her to learn that there's never an easy solution to anything Mm -hmm. like this. It's very easy to say, oh, there should be more funding, or there should be more testing, or there should be more of one or the other, and it's a very complicated question to try and answer. I do think that having peers who were interested in science and who I could talk to about science really made a difference. And that was other kids at my high school who were doing science fair projects. That was students that I spent the summer with at like summer geek camp programs, Mm -hmm. which were wonderful because I was suddenly in an environment where it was really cool to be really into science. And I know that that's something that schools can foster and support if they have the time and resources that they need. So I mean, at a basic level, just having the support available and then focusing it on math and science education mm-hmm. based based on what the students the student demand is, I think would make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Like prioritizing science like a lot too. But like for college, especially for women, like a lot of people like a lot there's a lot of like talk about like people think women think that they should do something or like follow their interests or stick to social sciences. Like what's your thought about that? This is It's another hard question because sometimes
1: there's always a combination in college of picking a major that you're interested in and picking a major that you think is going to lead to a good career. And there's not always a straightforward overlap with that, even within the sciences. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think that when it comes to that and how it relates to gender, I mean I would love to just be able to tell people like do what you're interested in and don't worry about gender and don't worry about what people are telling you you should be interested in. I do think it's good for people to go into fields with their eyes open and understand how competitive it is and what sorts what the climate is like, but I mean ideally I'd love to just see people study what they're interested in and what they want to make a career out of and for them to have the support along the way. So Programs like the ones that we have at Mm -hmm. UW for undergraduate women, for grad students, even for professionals, for faculty women, um, explaining how to get grants, how to learn how to study in a very different field than what you might have done in high school. All of those things Mm -hmm. are really helpful.
0: But, like, that's, like, great that we have that support system. Mm -hmm. But what about for the women? Like, what's your opinion for the women that, like, perhaps don't really know, like, why they're not into, like, the sciences? Maybe it's to do... Do you think it's to do with, like, exposure in high school? Do you think it has to do with, like, all the social stigmas? Or do you think it has to do with, like, being a woman? Like, what is your opinion on that?
1: I... I personally don't think it has anything to do with being a woman. And you'll hear this sometimes. Oh, well, less women are just interested in science than Mm -hmm. men. Yeah, you
0: hear that a lot.
1: (laughs) And people used to say that about sports. Fewer women are interested in sports than men. And then once Title IX was introduced, there Mm -hmm. was this immense increase in participation of women in sports. So I don't think it has anything to do with gender. I think somebody is... 100% allowed to just not be that interested Mm -hmm. in science. Everybody is an individual. Everybody (laughs) has their own interests. Um, I hate to see the opposite happen (laughs) where every smart woman is told, yep, you got to be a doctor because you're really smart when maybe what they would love to study is poetry. Um, But I'd, I'd love to see the gendered aspect of that disappear and for women who are Exploring what they're interested in doing in high school and college to have the full set of options mm-hmm. made available to them and to not be pushed into um, humanities or what are sometimes referred to as the, quote, soft sciences. Yeah. Even though in reality <laughs> these are really rigorous fields of study just because they're women.
0: Yeah, actually, that leads to my next question. So, like, what do you think people consider a STEM? Like, I know it's science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm-hmm. But, like... There's, like, so much more to it. So, like, would you consider to be STEM? I I think of it very traditionally based
1: on the acronym, but I think that the wider we can cast that net, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, the acronym that I actually like seeing tossed around right now is STEAM. So it's <laughs> science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math. And I know oh. it sounds like it comes out of left field, but a lot of these are things that are less traditionally supported in yeah. schools that you sort of have the cookie-cutter curriculum of English, math, um, to a very basic degree, Mm -hmm. but supporting things like pure science research or um, sort of cutting-edge technology Mm -hmm. or the arts as well. These are all things that are a bit more of a risk to invest um, resources in at schools. So STEM itself, I think that the broader that net gets cast, I mean, I really think anything that has to do with science that has to do with research mm-hmm. that has to do with sort of the quantifiable end of the world <laughs> fits under that acronym Yeah, and I like seeing the arts shoved into there too because these <laughs> these are all things that are just intellectually satisfying for people to do.
0: Yeah, of course. Do you think like people have that same view as you do? The fact that like you look at it in a more like broader perspective, but some people are always just like no, it's just bio, it's chem, it's physics, it's electrical engineering it's industrial, like yeah it's like hard <laughs> there are definitely people that have a
1: narrower view of it if you get yeah. if you get groups of scientists mm-hmm. with this sort of attitude in a room you'll quickly see this argument of, oh, well, <laughs> physics is a more pure science than chemistry, and chemistry is a more pure science than biology, and oh, this bears yeah. ba- <laughs> so, so little relation to the kinds of science that come out of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get really incredible results from all of these. Um, so I, I don't think there's much to be gained from playing that sort of game. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this is a controversy that popped up online not too long ago of, well, Bill Nye isn't really a scientist because his degree is in engineering, mm-hmm. and... It does not seem very useful to me to try and draw those sorts of lines.
0: Yeah, like what's the point of that, like he teaches it and he's doing it correctly. Yeah. Like what, how how do you, that's another question too, like how do you distinguish whether someone is like, you know, a scientist, an engineer, like just by their degree or like what they do, like how would you do that?
1: Professionally it does sometimes come down to Mm -hmm. the degree and the work that you wind up doing. I think that philosophically, there's mm-hmm. a lot more overlap there.
0: Yeah.
1: I, so Bill Nye's degree is in engineering, but you can, you can possibly list the number of people that say, oh, I'm a scientist today, or I got interested in science because of Bill Nye the science guy. And yeah. for a kid watching his show, or for somebody looking to educate the public about what science is, the degree matters far less than sort of the basic philosophies that come out of it, of, like, using the scientific method, testing a hypothesis, learning how to properly interpret data. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's much broader reaching than just, well, your degree is labeled science.
0: Yeah, and, like, just uh, backtracking a little bit to about when you said educating the public, mm-hmm. um, I remember when we talked before, you had said something about, um, like, how people can't name a live scientist a woman or a man. Like, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Can you, like reiterate that? and talk more about that?
1: Yes. So this is something that I found really interesting for a long time, that asking somebody to name a living scientist will very often get you sort of a blank stare Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: a long wait while someone thinks. And usually someone will name one of a handful of sort of high-profile public scientists. They'll remember Stephen Hawking, or they'll name Neil deGrasse Tyson. But the list is really short, and if you ask them to name a living woman scientist, many people can't do it. Yeah. Um, once in a while, someone will name Jane Goodall, who is obviously an amazing scientist. Yeah. But the fact that they can name between zero and one is just heartbreaking. And there are other fields that have a much higher public profile. People can name football players mm-hmm. or actors. Yeah. Endlessly, and it would <laughs> go re- on. <laughs> it would be really great if we could. Get raise the public profile of science in that way a little, because I think putting a human face on it and mm-hmm. emphasizing that science is done by people makes it feel a lot more accessible to to the public and to kids. Period. Mm-hmm. I think boys and girls.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about the video that you showed me, mm-hmm. the one about like treating treating scientists like celebrities. So, like, how do you think that would work in today's world? Like, because I cannot see, like, someone dressing up as Jane Goodall for Halloween or something like that. First
1: you know? of all, I'm sh- I'm absolutely certain that there are kids every year dressing up as Jane Goodall for That's Halloween. Awesome. They're out there. They're, awesome. There may not be as many of them that are dressing up as Star Wars characters, but mm-hmm. I'm sure it totally happens. Um, in terms of what it would look like, it's there's the fun fantasy world component, mm-hmm. which is this video that I believe GE produced. Yes that was featuring Millie Dresselhaus and showing mm-hmm. what it would be like if she was on the cover of yeah, glossy sorry. magazines That's and why I'm not. <laughs> like little girls with Barbie's dressed like her and I'm not sure if we can just overnight flip a switch and get to that point mm-hmm. but having more science supporting more like science public TV programming um, the cosmos series that neil tyson narrated was unbelievably successful we mm-hmm. could easily do more of those um, there's the time and the space and honestly the interest yeah. in having more programs like that. And doing programs like that that feature real scientists would just be incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I even laugh about things like the Nobel Prize ceremony as compared to the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, And having a little more information on the Nobel Prizes and how, the, how they're awarded and the people accepting them would be just go a long way. And <laughs> I mean, the Nobels are just one of a number of things set up to recognize science being done. Uh, the Nobel Prizes are also fraught with some issues. Mm. Um, there have been over 200 Nobel Prizes awarded in physics, and two of them have gone to women,
0: oh, wow. which is
1: ridiculous. Yeah, But it's just an example of ways in which we recognize scientists that are not very public-facing, mm-hmm. and things like TED talks are helping with this too. So yeah. just more stuff along those lines. Also you mentioned
0: great. about like diversity too. Like you can't name like oh non-white yes. scientists. Like that's mm-hmm. a pretty big thing too. And that I think that would have been completely true 10 years ago and now
1: because of the public outreach that he's done people will name Neil deGrasse Tyson when asked to name a non-white scientist. Mm-hmm. And it really does take just one and it doesn't by any means it doesn't mean that we should stop at one. I think yeah. the opposite should happen. But it shows how quickly the pe- people's mental image of a scientist shifted from an old white man in a lab coat to <laughs> this sort of charismatic black man on TV. And it it that shift happened very easily for people who were going into it without sort of a preconceived notion and were just yeah. looking to know
0: more about science. And oh, we could still so whole... keep doing that. Yeah, it gets a whole new perspective out there too, which is like really great. So now that we're like um, towards the end of our podcast, I just want to ask you one final question. Where do you think women are headed in STEM today, right now, this moment? I like to think optimistically about it. So
1: we have an increasing number of women who are beginning degrees in the sciences. I think what we need to prioritize as people already in the field are keeping women around mm-hmm. and keeping minorities in general around. 100%. And sometimes that involves recognizing that you're facing discrimination that your white counterparts or your male counterparts aren't encountering and being able to provide support yeah. for students that are dealing with a little bit of an extra challenge on top of what's <laughs> already a really challenging degree. Yeah, And that needs to stick through college, through the career mentorship process to make sure that all these women who are interested in science stick around.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, sometimes that's just setting up resources on campuses. Sometimes that's just providing mentors or providing support groups within departments. Yeah. Some of that goes all the way to things like public science funding, which is very much in flux right now. Mm-hmm. But hopefully if the right decisions are made, we'll see this trend continue and we'll see science continue to become more diverse.
0: Yeah, That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Sorry. Thank you so much, Emily. Um, We'd love to have you again. Um, Do you have any last comments? No. Thanks so much for having me, and I'd I'd love to come back again. Sounds good. Well, that's the end of the podcast, guys. Um, Please tune in in two weeks. Thank you.